Welcome to Bureau 42's comic book podcast pilot season, day 12. This is the second episode in the Daredevil's Advocate series. In this series, I'm always going to be sitting in with a guest. I always take the position that Daredevil is the greatest character in comic books, and the guest argues for another character. The guest this week is a good friend of mine named Anthony Stauffer. Hello. Hello. So this week, Anthony has chosen to come in and talk about Iron Fist. So, Anthony, why don't you start by telling us the, probably the main reason that you chose Iron Fist as the character to bring in. Well, realistically, I've always felt that I look the most like Iron Fist in the entire Marvel Universe. Maybe Blaine will be good enough to put a picture of me up on the website and you can do your own comparison to be sure. And what can I say? I've always had that soft spot for the stereotypical white martial artist. But if you think about it, Iron Fist, or rather Danny Rand, is an amazingly compelling character. He was taught in the mystical region of Kunlun, and he gained most of his power by shoving his fist through the heart of an ancient dragon. I mean, what boy wouldn't want that to be the way that he gained his superpower? You're going through all these wonderful childhood fantasies at once. He's also rich. How can you go wrong with a rich guy? Anytime you have a superhero that has incredibly large amounts of money, it just makes it, it's adding icing to the cake. Take Iron Man, take Iron Man Tony Stark, take um, Batman. One of the things that make these characters just, I guess you could say, a bit more intriguing is the fact that they have all of these riches and they have no reason, or rather they have no need, to go and fight the crime. It's more of their choice to do it. This is true. Now, he does have a lot more money than Matt Murdock does, but Matt Murdock being a lawyer is not doing too bad. With him, it's not about the money. It's about just giving people a hand and helping those who need it, which is why he takes so many of those pro bono cases. He could be doing a lot better if it was just about the money to, to finance the crime fighting, but with him, it's just doing the crime fighting and protecting his own little neighborhood. But also, look at how his whole, um, I guess you could say, idea of ignoring the money has ended up shooting him in the foot many times. The amount of times that guy has gone through a bankruptcy cycle and had to work his way back up while having to ignore all of the crime fighting that he could have been doing had he had had he been financed, had he let Foggy run his uh, practice better, had he not put all these barriers in the way. It's completely possible that he could have been a very successful lawyer still bringing money in and being the crime fighter that advocates for the poor and the people trying to make their way back up there. In fact, it probably can be argued that his inability to run his company has probably done more harm than good in the amount of lives that he probably could have helped and saved. Uh, he did try that. If you go back for a while, I believe it was the start of the Anacenti run, it was actually Foggy Nelson's mother who was running the company with her business background. And what happened with that is that the company became a lot more business-oriented with Foggy's mother in charge, and they started attracting a lot of the clients that they didn't necessarily want. He was no longer fighting for the good people. Instead, he was just fighting for whoever showed up and could pay for the services, including people he knew to be guilty. Completely independent of that, though, the problem with that was the fact that Foggy's mother was running it. Uh, I made the point of Foggy running it, or rather Matt and Foggy running it together, being a bit more selective. It's not necessarily that he needs to be incredibly, incredibly rich through his practice. It's just more of the fact, with his alter ego, he seems borderline capable of even running a practice in the first place. I do think that it's very, very noble what Matt Murdock continually tries to do, but there's always just that hope that if he could just sort of reach a better balance or sort of reach that mid-range where he's not in a or he's not in a practice that's incredibly incredibly profitable due to him quote unquote selling his soul or to the exact other extreme completely bankrupt it just seems that he's constantly going from one extreme on a roller coaster as opposed to ever living in that stable universe it is but I mean, it's not that iron fist has been particularly stable either I mean, he was replaced by a Skrull, and it was the Skrull Iron Fist that was there through Secret Wars 2. That character was killed off, and he was just off the table for a good 10 or 15 years. And it wasn't until John Byrne took over Namor, finding that he didn't care for the fact that a new creative team had come in on Power Man and Iron Fist and killed off one of his characters. He's the one that retconned it to be a Skrull and brought Iron Fist back to life. So if you're talking about up and down inconsistencies, Iron Fist was 
off the table for a good 10 years. Now, in terms of that, with the classic scroll affair, please don't get me wrong, I am no fan of the last minute he was a scroll all along storyline that we love to throw in there. But by that exact same logic, you know, when he was Danny Rand, and on the most part when he was Iron Fist, except for with the recent Mortal Weapons and him abandoning his company for a period, he did run uh, Rand Enterprises relatively stably, and especially when you consider the magnitude of the company that he was managing. Also, recently, um, taking his entire company and trying to make it into more of a humane company or trying to help uh, the people around him as opposed to just being one of those big faceless empires that makes money and reigns over other people. His shift to try to still run a profitable company while helping people, uh, I think, should be seen as being relatively admirable. It is admirable, but as you said, it was a shift. He wasn't like that from the start, whereas Daredevil was. Matt Murdock only has powers because he was already being the hero when he ran out in the street and drug the old guy out of the way of that radioactive truck. If he wasn't looking out for the little guy on an instinctive level from his teenage years, he wouldn't have the abilities he had. He would probably still be out there fighting the good fight. He'd already started his physical and martial arts training. He'd already decided to work towards that goal. He just would have been doing it in a different way, if not for that incident. Now, that being said, uh, admittedly, Matt Murdock had, has always had that skill of compassion. You can't necessarily write Danny Rand off as having no compassion, but I think in lack of, or in rather lieu of his compassion, Danny Rand had a lot more dedication and determination than Matt Murdock ever showed. Yes, Matt Murdock was able to make it through law school, especially with the handicap of being blind, and he was able to, you know, obviously he had to read using his fingers and braille, and he had to face a lot of hardcomings when he was coming up, especially to become a lawyer and achieve that level of education. But Danny Rand, I feel his main power, aside from outside of compassion, is his determination. He came in as a complete outcast, and I believe it was he was at the age of nine when he entered the mystical city. And being a complete outsider, having no idea what was going on, and also having his mother and father just die in a horrible snowstorm he was able to overcome and become the top trained person or the top trained person to the level that he got to rather he was gifted the ability to go fight the dragon and after fighting the dragon he was the next iron fist that is a level of project or perfection and determination which i don't think matt murdoch could have necessarily attained It, it may have been challenging and again as we said matt murdoch did have the challenges of being blind, but that didn't stop him either. I wouldn't say Matt Murdock's not determined. I'd say they both are. He did still do all the training and became, for all intents and purposes, a ninja. He was trained to that level. Not quite to Danny's level. I will give you that. But they're not far off. If you go back to Ed Brubaker's first arc after taking over the title of Daredevil from Brian Michael Bendis, Iron Fist and Daredevil do have an out-and-out confrontation. And they are fighting out there. And, and it does stop because they recognize each other's styles and realize who they're really fighting. Because they're both in the Daredevil outfits and Matt didn't realize who the imposter was and why he was there. Nor did Iron Fist or Danny realize that it wasn't Matt who'd hired him to do it in the first place. But we did see enough of that fight to know that it was not going to be a clear case of this person won and that person lost. Danny probably would have won out in the end, but Matt would have made him work for it. And that takes a level of determination and training as well. Especially when you look at the unique nature of Daredevil's handicap. I mean, yes, Matt is blind, but it's not just blind. He's incredibly sensitive. He can hear a heartbeat and track one person's heartbeat in a cab from the rooftops for several blocks, as he did during the Frank Miller run. That's nice, but 
your ears don't discriminate. If he can hear that heartbeat, he can hear every heartbeat for the people in between. He can hear all the motors. He can hear everything else. That takes an incredible amount of focus to pick up on that one heartbeat and keep tracking them, to keep your mind focused on the conversation in front of you when it's got to sound like everyone is screaming at you nonstop when they're just speaking in normal voices. It takes a lot of concentration and determination for Matt just to exist in the regular world, let alone to become exceptional as he has. Now, granted, um, he has done amazingly at overcoming, I guess you could say, his deficiencies, but I find it a misnomer to call it a handicap. You can't take his power and say it's at one time a power, but in this instance is a handicap. Even though I will give it to you that it does work against him, and many times his power has been exploited. Uh, anytime that sonar or heavy, large amounts of sound go off, uh, when he's battling Claw, he has incredible difficulties battling Claw just because Claw utilizes the sound and Daredevil has a hard time focusing. But after he attained that initial, I guess you could say, overcoming of his overcoming of his powers and ability to start to focus his powers and use them, they're no longer a handicap. Realistically, they have to be an advantage at that point. And even if you look at his law practice, you had mentioned earlier that he was able to listen to people's heartbeats and automatically know if they were lying or not. Since he has that ability, that's basically an advantage for him at that point, no longer the handicap. In many cases, not all. Again, if you go back to the Frank Miller run, he ended up defending a guilty party, convinced the man was innocent, and got him off. And then felt guilty about it afterwards, and it wasn't until the trial was done that the client said, by the way, you should know I'm guilty of sin. And Matt tracked it down because that particular client had a pacemaker. So listening for the erratic heartbeat doesn't work when it's regulated by outside forces. I realize that, but we're still talking a microcosmical example. Just because it didn't work once doesn't mean that it's not going to work all the time. Um... Back to the fight that Danny Rand posing as Daredevil and Daredevil coming back as Daredevil had and when they had that altercation. Yes, they did end up fighting to a standstill and there was no clear winner by any means necessary. But in terms of referring to his powers being a handicap, yes, he does have to have the ability to focus and ignore and block out all of the exterior sounds and all of the exterior stimuli. That would be distracting him, and it would be very, very difficult for him to focus on just the fight at hand. But as he has proven, it's almost second nature to him at this point. And in that sense, when he's fighting, he has a clear advantage due to his ability to think in 3D and know the position of everybody. Wayne Gretzky, one of the reasons that he said he was an amazing hockey player was he did have that ability to look at the and he'd know where everybody was around him, which is why he was able to do a lot of the no-look passes. Daredevil would have much the same ability. Sadly, he didn't play hockey. But but given that, um, his ability to map out an entire, I guess you'd say, environment and then engage in a battle really gives him the advantage because he has that power. He does. I will grant you his blindness is not true blindness. The way I look at it, he is so colorblind he cannot distinguish between black and white, but he does have perfect depth perception in all directions, often including other sides of walls. As the radar sense was, well, it's been written in a few ways. Stan Lee explained it in two completely different ways in his run. Once is he did have little ping, ping, ping sound effects going through, so it is more like a sonar or radar where things are bouncing off. For the most part, it's been described as just hearing being so acute that he can hear little currents and eddies that objects make as they distort the air around them. Later on, it's been described as actually reaching out and touching everything in the area, but that gets a little creepy when he starts going through crowds. That, that is something that, that he does have. It's hard to call him truly blind because of the depth perception. It's not perfect. As Mark Wade has pointed out, it's great defense. It's like having eyes in the back of your head as far as combat situations are concerned. But he still has to take a cabbie's word for how much fare is on that digital display at the front of the cab. Now, one thing that I'm going to bring up about Matt Murdock is obviously one of the things that makes Matt Murdock a captivating character is... Uh, all of his personal flaws and basically he he's a superhero that on the most part has always been shown as being a very very flawed and conflicted character and i do find that incredibly intriguing but where i think that danny rand or rather iron fist truly has a moral advantage over daredevil or rather matt murdoch is if you look historically at matt murdoch's relationships he's very well known for lack of other terms wrecking woman 
and most of the relationships that he embarks on, they do not end well. And you can argue the um, interference of the other aspects of his life powers out of his control. Uh, Karen Page, well, she was murdered by Bullseye, so Daredevil obviously could have done absolutely nothing about that. But if you take Mila, Mila, there were many points in time that Matt Murdock could have just backed off the relationship and chosen to protect her, but he took the selfish route, which led her to being locked up into an asylum. And also, while he was still married to her, he did cheat on her. And, you know, these are character flaws, which I really think that in many cases you can't have an excuse for for him. Yeah, I did mention last week, as the listeners would probably know, uh, Anthony hasn't, I haven't had that uploaded or given him a chance to listen to it yet. I, I do admit there is no surer way to have your life destroyed in the Marvel Universe than dating Matt Murdock. That's Kirsten McDuffie is the one who seems to have survived it so far, and that's because she recognized the issue early and dumped him almost right off the bat. Not that everything is peachy for Iron Fist's loves, but, you know, breaking up with a pregnant woman, it's not, it's not pleasant, but it's not nearly as problematic as what Matt's loves have gone through. So I will give you that. One thing I will say about Daredevil and Iron Fist, though, is Daredevil does seem to have a lot more staying power in terms of capturing the attention of the readers and the audience and the creators. If we go back and look at their publication history, Daredevil was first introduced in 1964, ran continuously until the late 90s when Marvel was going into bankruptcy protection. Even then, he didn't completely drop out. He was farmed out into the Marvel Knights series through Jimmy Pagliotti and Joe Casada before Casada stepped in as editor-in-chief. was one of the headliners in that for all 15 issues of that run. And then when that run finished, came back under Kevin Smith and has been in continuous publication ever since. Yes, in February, the print Lost issue of the current print volume is going to be done, but then it's leading immediately into a 13-issue digital comic with the same creative team. And I would be quite surprised if Matt doesn't come back in print when that's done. Meanwhile, he's got the Daredevil Dark Knights 8-issue meaning series running in parallel, so at the moment he's got two titles. If we go back and compare this to Iron Fist's history, he started off in Marvel Premiere, which was a tryout book, so we're not going to hold against him that he didn't get his own title right off the bat, like... Matt Murdock did, even though Matt Murdock achieved that in a time when even Iron Man was showing up in another title. Thor showed up in another title. There were very few characters that were given their own books aside from the Hulk, and his was cancelled after six issues. Daredevil survived, and he made it through. Iron Fist started in Marvel Premiere. I believe he was there for three issues. Correct me if I'm wrong. From there, he had 15 issues of his own title, and then he was brought into Power Man's title, and that became Power Man and Iron Fist. So instead of just Power Man Hero for Hire or Hero for Hire, it was Heroes for Hire, with Power Man and Iron Fist and the supporting cast that brought them all together. That lasted for a little over 70 issues as a team. It was 120 issues for total, but Power Man had been on that book solo with the original numbering. At which point, when they wrapped up the book, because it wasn't surviving in the market, they killed Iron Fist off. And he's one of the ones that stayed dead until not so much the fans cried out to say bring him back, but the original creator said, I didn't like what that last creative team did, and then retconned it so that Danny Rand had been replaced with a scroll in the story right before those guys took over and brought Iron Fist back. So he came back from the dead in the 90s, still didn't get his own title until the Brubaker series. And I'm blanking on Brew. I believe it was Brubaker and Fraction that were co-writing that. But I believe, I know Brubaker had a co-writer. I'm just blanking on who that was. I think the actual issue numbering made it into the 20s. I think it was about 30 by the time you include the miniseries and one-shots. So Iron Fist has had multiple shots at his own series. So even though Iron Fist is a good character and has some audience, he's never seemed to be able to grab enough audience to sustain a strong title in the long term. Now, humorously enough, uh, when I stated in the beginning, the reason I have a love for Iron Fist is because I feel that I am him. But that is probably what leads to one of his flaws. If you look at a lot of the times and... If you look in the 70s, especially the 70s and the early 80s, when Iron Fist was still trying to catch wind, um, the whole idea of the white martial artist was just rampant throughout our, all forms of media. And I feel the big problem with Iron Fist is they had a hard time trying to differentiate him, or it's a hard to differentiate him from the rest, because let's be honest, it became cookie cutter. If you look at Daredevil... When Daredevil first started out, if you take the first six issues of Daredevil and if you continue on with the theme and the way the character was written back then as essentially just being a different form of Spider-Man, he wouldn't have caught on either. 
what I had stated before is Daredevil's dark, gritty edge and what really makes him the flawed character is, in my mind, probably one of the things that saved him because he was different from a lot of the pack. Through in that, uh, obviously Heroes for Hire probably being one of his more prominent runs and probably one of his longer runs, one of the things that they did there was they made him be part of one of the first black and white teams. And also, correct me if I'm wrong on this one, his relationship with Misty was one of the first black and white relationships in the Marvel Universe as well. Yeah, I, I haven't researched it, but I cannot think of any mixed ethnicity couples that predate them. And if you look at that, when they sort of put him in that groundbreaking revolutionary role in the comic book world, um, I think that's what sort of made him rise to prominence a bit more. The flaw with that is as soon as it becomes socially acceptable and no longer is as much of a taboo nature in society as it probably was back then, he loses his flair again. And then that's why, oh, he goes to the kill-off cycle. Then, when you look, uh, in 2004, he had a six-issue run, and I feel that it just wasn't given a fair chance. Obviously, mass appeal is mass appeal, and if the book's not being picked up, it's probably not being picked up for a reason. But you have those diehards that just love those martial arts comics as much as I do. And I think what happened is he got written off as being just another generic character, much as, you know, the classic American ninja movies from the 80s and the early 90s. They just became these generic action heroes. And I think that was one of the main flaws that happened in the writing of him. They never really did set him apart from the rest. And that's what Daredevil did incredibly, incredibly well, or what the Daredevil writers uh, managed to do incredibly, incredibly well, well, making him a captivating character, is adding that whole moral dilemma and moral flaw aspect to him. So I will have to concede that. Point. <laughs> to some degree, the numbers speak for themselves. As you're saying, it could be a case of the readers not giving him a fair chance at first. I, mean, I think by the time he he showed up in Marvel Premiere, I believe Shang-Chi was already going strong in Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. We have to check the numbers on that. And Shang-Chi's, his title was not canceled for lack of readership. His is one of the titles that was canceled for other reasons. Um, specifically, they decided to make him the child of Fu Manchu, and the right situation for Fu Manchu changed, so all of a sudden they couldn't use their primary villain and couldn't do it by name, which is why when they brought Shang-Chi back for Secret Avengers in recent years, they revealed his father's real name, not the made-up name. So now they have a name they can assign to him that makes sense in the context of the character. But again, it's the sort of cookie-cutter aspect to Iron Fist's origins, even though he's grown since then, that's part of the reason I didn't really latch onto the character. If you go back to those first few issues of Marvel Premiere, and I was incorrect earlier, we've looked it up in the interim, it wasn't a three-issue run, it was an 11-issue run in Marvel Premiere, issues 15 to 25. If you go back to that run when he starts off, he's not any different from any of the martial arts books on the stands. He's got that millionaire orphan background that we've seen from, at this point, Batman and some incarnations of Aquaman and Green Arrow. And while Iron Man's not a complete orphan at that stage, I just think his father had never been mentioned because he was a grown adult and they never brought his family into it. The only thing that they really did to set it apart was try to help you identify with him by writing those first few issues from a second-person perspective, which is something I can respect in terms of the attempt but if you're writing it from a second-person perspective and say, you are doing this, and you are doing this, and you are doing this, I think then the art has to be drawn from basically behind Iron Fist's eyes. You've got to see what he sees instead of seeing the character, which in a superhero comic is pretty darn limiting. Right? You want to see that superhero in action, but then I always found there was this disconnect between the narrative captions and the art because they were trying that approach of the second-person perspective. So they, they tried to set him apart in that respect, in terms of the way that Claremont and Byrne were telling those stories. But if you look at the way the same creative team worked when Byrne left Iron Fist to go join Claremont on the X-Men, and look at what happened there, you could see the difference in sales and what happened when they were just firing on all cylinders and working with each other that way. Something about Iron Fist didn't even grab his creators. I suspect that was more of a task where editorial came to them and said, hey, make us a martial arts guy. They're big now. 
And as I said, you know, outside of the fact of he put his hand into a dragon's heart, you do have to admit that he did just become the martial artist that was so stereotypical in that day and age. Um, that being said, though, a lot of the superheroes of that time did have those cookie-cutter aspects, like Daredevil, his father was murdered trying to stand up doing the right thing for that one moment, which led his son to, you know, try to pursue his dad's dying wishes of becoming a lawyer and then super... Well, not dying wishes, rather, but his father's wish that he worked hard and became a superhero and showed that determination. So... Even though not nearly to the degree that uh, Danny Rand Iron Fist was uh, bogged down by being the cookie cutter, Matt Murdock Daredevil did have a lot of those cookie cutter aspects put into him. And top that off with, let's be honest, his costume when he first started off, it's yeah, a good yeah. thing they dropped that fast. Yeah, the, the original con costume design did look like it was designed by a blind guy. I will give you that. One of the, the issues with Daredevil is a lot of his origins were not completely original. If we go back to Daredevil, um, the first Daredevil character ever to be published was Bart Allen. Or, sorry, not Bart Allen, Bart Hill. And he was a mute athlete who watched his parents killed by gangsters who then scarred him with a scar the shape of a boomerang on his chest. That trauma is what ran in a mute, at least in his first appearance in Silver Street Comics issue 6 back in the 40s. They dropped the mute thing in his second appearance, but he was out there fighting the good fight with the Liv Gleason Company. And when the Liv Gleason Company went bankrupt, well, the trademark was up for grabs. And Martin Goodwin, who was in charge of Marvel at the time, liked to grab trademarks as soon as they became available, which is how Marvel got Captain Marvel and Black Widow and Daredevil. So they, they brought in... And they like the idea of having a mute superhero, so having someone who is what most would call disabled, but not truly disabled. And the artist Bill Everett, who was working with Stanley at the time, who had previously created Namor the Submariner and some of the other classics of the Golden Age, well, Bill and his wife both had issues with controlling their liquor input, and their daughter was born blind. So it was Bill Everett who threw out the idea of, well, let's make him blind. And then Stan Lee came up with the, the super senses aspect for the rest to compensate and find a way to make a blind superhero functional. So yeah, he was basically a, a grift on the athletic hero of the 1940s who actually got his own title that lasted, well, Daredevil Comics lasted, I think, 136 issues. But I believe Daredevil himself was only in the first 80. And then the other characters in the anthology book took over. But he was out there for the leasing company. So I will give you that, that a lot of Daredevil's origin, it does have a cookie cutter. It was not completely inspired. And his attitudes at first, as you said, he does start off as a badly dressed Spider-Man. But one of the things I love about him is the amount of growth and change the character has gone through. If your first issue of Daredevil ever was during the Bendis or Brubaker runs, or the Frank Miller run, or even the Nocenti and D.G. Chichester runs. If you started with one of those runs and someone told you, yeah, this guy was meant to basically be another Spider-Man personality with a little bit of a twist, it would be hard to see how he got from point A to point B. It's a little bit easier now that Mark Wade's writing it. Compare that to Iron Fist. I don't see as dramatic a change between Marvel Premiere 15 and the later issues of New Avengers where he and Daredevil are in there together. Now, um, I will obviously have to concede the fact that Daredevil has gone through far more of an evolution of character and a lot more change. But on that same note, is change necessarily always a good thing? And I'd have to say no. A lot of times, and especially escaping to the fantasy world, I have this belief, I love it when the good guy wins. There has been many movies, many comics that I've read, many TV shows that I watch, and right as soon as the good guy stops winning, I just, you know, I get bored of it. And let's be honest, I think this is where they've really started to beat on the character far too much. And there are times when you just sort of sit there like, is this guy's life ever going to turn around? And is he ever going to be happy? 
when his secret identity was first outed and everyone started to learn that he was Daredevil, he was put into jail, and then all of these things started happening and they absolutely snowballed on him and basically his life was in the complete gutter. Um... You just, you started reading the comic and thinking, why are all these bad things happening to him? And it just starts teaching the lesson that, well, bad things happen to good people, which in my fantasy world, I don't necessarily like to always see. I realize that happens in real life, but that's why I read comic books, so I can escape real life. Well, let's be honest. And I think one of the flaws with the Daredevil Evolution is he was a character that was so much built on overcoming challenges that they just started putting so many challenges in his way and beating him down as much as they possibly could that to one of the latest, I guess you could say, new status quo points they made it to, they just kind of said, ah, we'll just ignore this ever happened and try to restart him. And I think that's one of the flaws that Daredevil's had, especially in the past couple of years, is they keep on beating him down but they never really give him any ground that he's gaining. He's essentially become the world's bitch. Anything that can go wrong to this guy is going wrong to this guy. And because of that, I think that takes, uh, I guess you could say, some of the splendor away from his character. A bit, yeah. He's With the Mark Wade run, that brought him back a little more to the swashbuckling age, or as Mark Wade put it, his goal was to try and write comics that were just as good as Daredevil had comics had been for the last 10 years, but didn't make you want to get a stiff drink afterwards. There is some point to that. At the same time, a lot of writers would tell you a standard rule for creating drama is to sit down and think, where what is the last situation my character can be in? And as long as the character can handle that situation, go for it, because that's how you create drama and that's how you create tension. And that's a standard rule. A lot of these writers are applying to Daredevil and to other characters. And I think part of the reason Daredevil has been in such dire circumstances, has been driven so far down compared to others, is that his character can take it. You can beat him down. You can break him. If you go back to Born Again, the end of that, right, that early arc, Kingpin breaks Daredevil effectively. He you know, thinks that a voice on the phone telling him the current time is foggy. But he refuses to stay broken, and he pulls himself back together, which is what we saw in that Kingpin arc. It's what we saw after Shadowland, which is probably his lowest point in his history, I would say. Now, as you said, uh, one of the great abilities to create dramatic tension is to put that character in a place that you never thought that he'd be. Um, Inherent with that, though, I feel that they should also have a way for him to get out of it, which doesn't just become a game of the next guy taking over and saying, okay, let's see how we can get him even further down. And then the next guy taking over and saying, okay, let's see how we can get him even further down. And continually lampooning the character, trying to take him to a darker and darker place with him never seeing the light. Um, again, one of the things that you have to give respect to the Daredevil character for, obviously beating me to the punch, uh, the Born Again series, which was a seven-issue run. So basically, within the span of that seven issues, he was beaten down, girlfriend murdered, everything was taken and robbed from him, and he was pushed to his lowest point, and he found a way to work his way back up. But that was only seven issues. But when they take it and put it over the 30-some issues where his character was outed, and then after his character was outed, he was thrown in jail, and then after he was thrown in jail, they changed writers, and then it was all the wars in jail, and then he just kept on going darker and darker to the penultimate point where he reached Shadowland, and then in Shadowland, all of a sudden, they showed that he was really, that he was starting to get possessed by a demon because he had gotten so dark, and the only way out that they had was to exorcise the demon from him which was effectively done with help from Iron Fist, I'd like to bring up. Mm -hmm. And it was Iron Fist at that point that did also heal and save Daredevil slash Matt Murdock's life by using his ability to focus the chi and save him from imminent death, also cleansing his spirit so that the demon would no longer have any hold over him. Wakey, wakey, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) But still on that line... I feel it just for too long or for too long of a period of time, it became just 
a literary device to beat on Matt Murdock some more and just keep on pushing him down. Even when they did go back and say, we're going to start the swashbuckling and we're going to tell lighter tales, within the first eight issues, you already had the Molemen desecrating his father's grave and stealing his father's body. You have to admit, they're kind of just going back on that literary device of, uh-uh, just kidding. Look, we're going to push you right back down there again. Yeah, there was, there was some of it, and it's... Mark Wade has never said he wasn't gonna, he was gonna shy away from the dark corners. He just wanted to have moments of lightness that were in there. And we do get those. Especially when he's coming in and into the offices and smells the food that Foggy's been snacking on and this type of thing. Um, also, I do want to mention that, yeah, it did take a lot of issues for the brew baker and those guys to, to beat him down. People may think it didn't take long for the kingpin to beat him down in that seven issue arc in Born Again. But if you go back to Born Again, that first issue, which was issue 227, that's where most of the beating down happens. And if you read that carefully, you find that that one issue takes place over the span of six months. So it did take time to get him as low as he was. And that was orchestrated pretty clearly. When you look at what happened to Karen Page in that, you look at all the little clerical errors that led to the loss of his power, all his utilities. Nelson and Murdoch was off the table, and ending with the final destruction of the brownstone. There was really nothing left, and that's part of the reason he'd gone into bankruptcy, is because, I mean, it wasn't so much Daredevil's character flaw that led them into bankruptcy that time around. It was Karen Page's character flaw, ultimately. She was the one that sold that information, for another hit. And uh, I will give you that. I did partially misrepresent that by setting issues as opposed to actual comic time or as actual universe timeline. But I still stand by my statement. Yeah, it's true. He has been beaten down a lot. Some of it, though, is how you bring it back. They did try to bring it back a little bit with Bob Gale's six-issue run. That went between the first two story arcs that Bendis wrote. Brian Michael Bendis wrote Wake Up following uh, Kevin Smith's first arc and then the second arc with art by Joe Casada and scripted by David Mack, I believe, was the second story arc. Then we had the four issue Wake Up and then we have Bob Gale's arc, which still hasn't been collected, where he faced off against the Matador and Bob Gale just brought him right back to the swashbuckling days. The issue with that is you... It didn't really resonate with the fans, and a lot of them didn't like it. The first time I read it was right after reading Essentials, and I enjoyed it in that context. When I went back and reread every issue of Daredevil in sequence, I really didn't enjoy it because it felt incredibly disjointed following immediately after Wake Up and going into Underboss, I believe, was the next story arc. But Bendis's second story on the character, it was out of place. So while Mark Wade's run is certainly lighter than the ones that came before it, you can't do a complete and immediate about-face. You have to grow him to that position. So I'll be very interested in seeing where Mark Wade's run ends the character, both the print run and the 13-issue Road Warrior series he's doing following that print run. Now, one of the names that you had dropped was the classic El Matador, and one of the things that obviously I'm going to say that I think Iron Fist has an advantage over Daredevil is in terms of the, the rogues gallery. And I will admit that because Iron Fist has had a lot more gaps in publication dates that he doesn't have as many enemies that have been thrown in to try to run story arcs off of. But let's be honest here. A lot of the Daredevil villains, basically you have to wonder if they just had random war generators and put a man after it or if they were just sitting there and somebody looked outside and said, you know what's cool? Bengals. Let's have the Bengal attack Daredevil. I think in a lot of cases before, and he does have the established villains, and he does have very, very good established villains. Kingpin, uh, the battles that they have had have been absolutely amazing. And a lot of the other villains that uh, Daredevil has are good, so I don't mean to take anything away from those. But I feel that a lot of the villains that they put into Daredevil have exploited him and led to his cheesiness. And 
they do really start to show the flaws that he has uh, in terms of his physicality and his ability to do large amounts uh, in terms of fighting or in the big picture. For a guy like Bengal, who basically just has claws and can jump around a lot to wreak such horrible, horrible hells on Daredevil's life, let's be honest, it shows his weakness in terms of fighting ability. Also, for a guy named Stiltman, I don't care what kind of powers you try to add to Stiltman or what kind of technologies you add to him to make him far more of a threatening villain, a guy who just has really long legs just shouldn't exist in comic books as a villain in my mind. <laughs> yeah, I will concede that it took a good 130 issues for a good recurring villain. The first Mr. Fear story, it, it was good because it wasn't designed to be a recurring villain. Then we had Bullseye show up in issue 130. That was great. Following Bullseye, Gladiator has become an interesting character, not so much as a villain, but just psychologically, although even though he first appeared in issue 18, it took about another 200 or so issues before even Gladiator reached that point. Uh, the Purple Man, he does have a lot of potential, as you can see in the Alias series, especially volume 4. But to realize that potential and to see how much of a threat he really can be is difficult in an all-ages comic. So, yeah, even the Purple Man, although used to great effect by Bendis in that Alias series, Alias is an adult-only comic, and that's the kind of comic you need to get the Purple Man up to that level of threat. Yeah, with so, Purple Man, I, I fully agree with you that... Uh... He could be a far more intriguing villain, but they just didn't have the ability to take him there in Daredevil. Yeah. But you compare this to the the villains that Iron Fist has fought, probably the most prominent villain that has first appeared and originally appeared in the pages of Iron Fist would be Sabretooth. And he's not even really known as a Sabretooth or as an Iron Fist villain. Most people know Sabretooth from his role in Wolverine's Rogues Gallery. Yes, I believe that was before uh, Sabretooth and Wolverine even had a defined relationship, was it not? It was. He f I believe Sabretooth first appeared in Iron Fist issue... Was it 15? Was it 7? It was in it was in Iron Fist's original solo title following on the Marvel premiere. It, it was in that range for sure. And there was no indication of any relationship to Wolverine. That, to me, felt like an afterthought where, oh, we have this character lying around who's kind of similar to this hero. That's more the polar opposite, and that's what it takes to have a great villain, is that polar opposite. So Sabretooth is more of a polar opposite to Wolverine. Kingpin is a wonderful polar opposite to Daredevil, which is why he works so well as a Daredevil villain, to the point that a lot of people don't realize Daredevil basically stole that villain from Spider-Man. Bullseye is a great opposite. He's got all the same skills and training, if not more so in some areas, although less in others, but he is completely devoid of the moral code that Daredevil has when it comes to dealing with anything but his own personal life. And that's part of what sets him apart. He is a major assassin, but yeah, I will concede it took him a long time to get good villains. But if you look at the villains he's faced in one, he took down Mephisto's son. He's not, he's not totally incapable. He's just so different. He's faced off Claw a couple of times. That's... Not just in the Mark Wade run, I believe he also faced Claw around issue 256 of the original run of his title. And to be honest with you, I think that's actually part of the problem that I have uh, with where he runs into these uh, villains that, as well he said, he did face off against Blackheart and he defeated Blackheart. And a lot of the times you see him and you see just the degrees that he'll show his, you know, his power, his strength, his ability to spit in the face of whatever, um, whatever challenge is facing him, uh, through the Kevin Smith run when he stood there and was willing to stand face to face with Mephisto just to find out who was tormenting him, right? Like, what kind of person would do that? And even the fact that Mephisto, uh, acknowledged him is a huge statement in the reputation that he should have. But when you see just the two extremes that he goes to, where one day, you know, will spit in Mephisto's face, but then, or rather Blackheart's face, 
But then the next day, he's being chased around by a guy with really, really long legs. I really wish that they'd create a bit more consistency. And I will admit that they are doing better now than it has been before. But even now, within a 10-issue span, he goes from fighting mole men to being in a confrontation with Dr. Doom. There's just no consistency there. I really wish that they'd find, you know, a better median line and then just go to the extremes every so often. Preferably the higher extreme than the lower. Yeah, and that is one thing they're doing picking Daredevil's villains. The consistency that we're seeing is they have to put them up against smart villains. Because if you don't have an intelligent villain, he'll shut you down quickly. Mark Wade actually used still man to good effect. Granted, it took almost 50 years for someone to use still man to good effect. <laughs> I'll give you that. But when he said, no, this guy is not about the second story, man. He's about being the distraction to keep you looking over here while a major heist is going over there and to reallocate the police. And as Mark Wade has said, yeah, a guy with really long legs doesn't sound that threatening, but wait until he stepped on you when you're in the bottom of a river, which is exactly what happened. And that was a pretty intense moment in the comic, even though... Mark Wade's interviews had revealed that was coming. There is that that element to it where you need that consistent power level. But again, you look at Doom, you look at the Mole Man, you look at Bullseye in his current condition, you look at the villains that have been threats against him. Intelligence is the one thing that all the really good villains have in common. It's not like you know some of these other guys where you can have. I mean, Thor fights a suit of armor on more than one occasion. It's just a force of nature. Because Thor is more about the power, and one of the dynamics in Thor is that Loki is much, much smarter than he is. Same with the Hulk in most of the classic incarnations where Bruce Banner's off the page and the Hulk wins by smashing harder and not by outthinking it. That's one of the great things about Daredevil. He has to consistently outthink his opponent, sometimes outfight it when that's more of a street-level hand-to-hand, but he can go up against Blackheart when Mephisto says, hey... This guy's doing good work in my name. That needs to stop. That sends Blackout or Blackheart out to stop that hero. So there is a lot of potential there. And, you know, I, I will admit there is a lot of potential there. Realistically, Matt Murdock does, uh, I believe, exist at the gifted level or genius level. It, it seems to depend on whether you use Marvel's rankings or... Depending on the ranking, rankings. he does fall into the gifted or genius level. But... Basically, idiots don't pass the bar. Yeah, absolutely. And there have been many, many times where he has had to outthink his opponent. But still, when they put him against some of these, um, take Doom, for example, putting him against Doom, realistically, uh, no matter how much I love most of the superheroes, and I'm not saying that Iron Fist would stand up against Doom either, but these are superheroes that should seemingly get crushed. And sometimes, you know, it is just kind of sad to see him in a situation where his survival is escapism, as opposed to any form of being able to fight back. Yeah, he he basically defeats Doom, not so much with the superhero training, but with the lawyer training of negotiating the compromise. Yeah. That satisfies Doom and makes Doom say, okay, letting you go will gain me more than beating you down, so go ahead. You, you do have some of those issues. You have issues with Claw. As I said, he's fought a couple of times. He stopped the assassination that the spot was running by anticipating where the spot was going to go. And again, thinking tactically. He gave Captain America a run for his money when they're fighting. And Captain America is... He's traditionally heralded as the greatest fighter in the Marvel Universe. Which is why I think Shang-Chi gets the greatest empty-handed fighter... In the Marvel Universe, they throw that caveat in to say that Shang-Chi is still awesome, but we're not contradicting what Cap does with his shield. Also, um, just on the intelligence note, uh, if you take Danny Rand and Iron Fist, uh, even very, very recently, he does show that he has that tact, uh, the tactical ability as well. When he was in the Eighth World and, or rather the Eighth Heaven, and he was basically in a situation where he wasn't sure who was the original Iron Fist, and there was a lot of confusing things. He wasn't sure why him and the Immortal Weapons were on the mission there. He was able to sift through and discover all of this and realize that, you know, he was being set up the entire time, and he was able to prevent 
the eighth heaven from taking over the rest of the world, or rather the original Iron Fist from taking over the rest of the world. Also, if you look at his business acumen, obviously to still be running a company even through the hardships that it's faced, he has shown that he does have the ability to outthink his opponent. And in the situation where the assassin was after him and he realized that he could not fight the assassin, that was when he took the step back and said, well, I can't win this battle based on my physicality alone. So he enlisted his friends to you. So, you know, even though in a lot of cases, and I, I think these cases just come up because realistically we don't have the source material uh, for Iron Fist that we do for Daredevil. Daredevil, he is you know, many more years of print and many more issues. But Danny Rand is not void of that tactical ability and the ability to outthink his opponent as opposed to just outfight him either. So you can't take anything away there. No. Yeah, I mean, Rand, his company did go down once, but you can't hold that against Danny considering it was healthy when he got replaced by the Skrull. And when he was brought back from the seeming dead, the company had already folded and he had to bring it back from scratch. He did do that, so I will concede that he also has a lot of intelligence and is able to do it. It's just, his is more of a, I think, a political based as opposed to the the tactical negotiating based. There are some similarities. But in any event, I think we've given the listeners enough to chew on, so... You can email us at bureau42podcasts at gmail.com or go to bureau42.com and place your vote to the Google Forms there to say which character won after this debate. Was Daredevil the greatest character or was it Iron Fist? So once again, Anthony, thank you for joining me for this discussion today. Well, thank you, Blaine, for having me, and I hope that at another point in time I can do a podcast with you again. Well, that's quite likely, and we'll see how it plays out by the time this is done. We are in, as I said, day 12 out of 14 in the comic book podcast pilot season voting. So after day 14, we'll open up another Google Forms doc and take email votes again for the following week to see which of these seven podcast series is the one that's going to get done in the long term, or at least the first one to get done in the long term. So thank you for listening, and please join us again tomorrow. When we do another two-character comparison, this one in the Single Voice podcast, as we compare Hal Jordan and Richard Ryder. Please join us then.